0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Health Solutions with Sean and Janet Needham, where team discusses everything healthcare. I'm your host, Sean Needham, and I am streaming live from Boise, Idaho today. Super excited to be in Boise. Great weather today. I think it's supposed to be like 90. I'm loving summer. This is actually officially the second day of summer, and I'm also super excited to have Twyla Bray's on our show today. She is with uh, the Wedge of Health Freedom Initiative. We're going to be talking about that. And basically, it's it's a lot what I talk about already when it comes to health freedom in general. Um, as a lot of you know, I, I wrote a book called Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It. And one of the purposes of that book is to let patients know that they need to take charge of their own health and the government should get out of that because the government doesn't have your best interests in mind or health insurance companies for that matter it's important that you are educated and empowered to take charge of your own health so without further ado twyla welcome to our show
1: thank you so much sean glad to be here
0: yeah thanks for being on so why don't you start a little bit, Twila, with um, your background. You're, you're a nurse um, by trade. Tell us how that came about and tell us how you came about to, to be in charge of this initiative.
1: So I wanted to be a nurse probably for the entirety of my life. And, um, but I really wanted to do more than anything, the emergency room. And so that is what I went into right out of uh, out of school. Except I did do camp nursing first, and but all of this has to do with more um, outpatient and not not in the not on the floors of the hospital. And so emergency room nursing is very exciting, and um, that's really where most of my uh, skills went into. And then. From there, I just got concerned when the when President Clinton and Mrs. Clinton, now Senator Clinton, wanted to um, wanted to take over the health care system by giving us all managed care. Now, a lot of people don't even know that term or that, but really, managed care is the the um, merger of the delivery and financing of health care into one entity, and so that's the HMO, that's the health plan. Um, where the control is all coming as well as the payment from that kind of an entity. And once that happened, and, and uh, with Bill Clinton's uh, Health Security Act, um, I grew concerned. I listened to the president. I heard what he wanted to do. I saw him raise his uh, health security card on uh, national television. It was in September of 1993, and I was sitting there saying, this can't happen because if the government takes over health care, then they will take over the uh, the country. So, you know, once they can determine whether you live or whether you die, what the quality of your life is, um, all of that, um, then, you know, we have lost freedom.
0: Well, I echo that 100 percent. And it's amazing because when that was happening, I was in pharmacy school and um, I was thinking, You know, as traditionally as we know, a lot of uh, universities are indoctrination centers for um, government policy, mostly socialist policy, not about patient freedom or individual freedom. And um, I remember being told how good this was going to be for the country and how good this was going to be for pharmacy. And I look back, you know, almost 30 years later, actually over 30 years later, because I went to pharmacy school in 1991. And, um, you know, look at where, where medicine has come in 30 years. I would say most people would not agree that patients have more choice, you know, and, um, they have a lot less choice. They have a lot less freedom and, you know, healthcare professionals by trade anymore, whether it be pharmacists, nurses, or doctors, they're not really in charge of the system anymore. Somebody else is telling them what to do. Correct.
1: That is correct. And actually, I wrote a book called um, Big Brother in the Exam Room, The Dangerous Truth About Electronic Health Records. And I'll just show
0: it here for just a moment. Oh, yes.
1: So you can see it. And it's a big book. And um, the third printing is on its way with an index because everybody has asked for an index. And so, but really I do talk about how the electronic health record is the command and control center, uh, which outsiders use to to tie the hands of doctors, to limit what Mm -hmm. is available for them to order because they have to order through the electronic health record. And if they can't Or order it because it's not there because the hospital didn't put it there. The health plan didn't put it there. You know, the the institution didn't put it there. It's very hard for them to order it, even though it might be best for you. And so not only is it a mechanism of surveillance, controlling, I mean, surveilling the doctors, gathering information on the patients. It really is a command and control system for outsiders uh, using it into the exam room. And, And a lot of patients just don't realize that.
0: Yeah, that's interesting you bring that up and being a pharmacist um Twila my my wheels are just turning in my head when I think about that because um we're a compounding pharmacy mostly a pharmacy is a compounding pharmacy so we don't deal a lot with big pharma you know we're, we're not a traditional pharmacy that that does the traditional dispensing of medication so when we have um, doctors that want to send us prescriptions And their EMR doesn't let them send a prescription for XYZ compound because it's not in their EMR. Right. That's exactly what you're talking about. Drug companies put their drugs in the EMR so they're easy to prescribe. That's exactly what you just reiterated.
1: Well, yes, easy to prescribe and not easy to not prescribe.
0: Exactly, right? (laughs) Yep, yep. I mean, I can tell you I live live that by the day. I mean, every day I I live that when a doctor says, well, I'm trying to send this in your EMR. I dealt with it yesterday, and it's not going through. Well, yeah, here's why.
1: (laughs) So, some of your listeners might be the kind of listeners that decided that they wanted to try ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and what they ended up doing was going to a compounding pharmacy because the compounding pharmacies have been our friends. And I'll just show one more show and tell. And and that is our um, COVID-19 quick reference guide. It's got more than 100,000 downloads. And so written by me, but it has an entire section in there. It's all about understanding COVID, what you need to know uh, before you get COVID if you get COVID, where you need to go, how to prepare in advance if you're in the hospital, and then if you think you have long COVID, really how to prevent long COVID and what to do. And so, um, but we talk about the compounding pharmacies. So either the mom and pop pharmacies in the smaller towns, they'll actually do it. Lots of them, right? And the compounding pharmacies will actually compound the amount of ivermectin that that person needs. And so if it hadn't been for the compounding pharmacies like yours, you know, people would have had a really hard time and more people would have died. You know, so this has been a really important thing to have a compounding pharmacy.
0: Well, thank you. And yeah, compounding, like I've been telling everybody for years, including the students I teach, um, compounding is the past, present and future of pharmacy. It's something that we've done for years, even though big pharma hates it and the FDA is trying to take it away from us. It is a necessary thing to save people's lives. If compounding yeah. goes away, people will die. Yes. Period. Right. So thank you. Thank you for that. Twana. So what brought you in? So you were working in the ER and then how long, how long did you work in the ER and um, what brought you here?
1: So I worked in the ER for about eight years, pediatric emergency room nursing. The best—I mean, it's very exciting, and yeah. you know, it's lovely to see children. And most of them don't die. That's a wonderful thing about yes. pediatric ER. Some do, but most don't. And so, um, but then I wanted better hours, so I went into um, school nursing, and still had to do things uh, happening on the playground and figure things out that. You know the paraprofessionals couldn't figure out that sort of thing, and then and then this thing happened with the Clintons, and I started doing research on the um, research on everything that was happening with the bill. And then when it started to go away, I thought, oh, there's you know there's no need for concern anymore. And I'd come up with the name of an organization, and everything, but the bill was going away. And then I read one article in the state of Minnesota in the Saint Paul Pioneer Press that made me realize that Minnesota had did a precursor law called Minnesota care uh, in advance of the Hillary care law uh, uh, um, proposed law. Right. And so we had Hillary care in Minnesota and I said, well, that's it, you know, we got to start something here because here it is in my own backyard. But then, you know, it didn't take very long to figure out how much control the federal government has in a state, how much money was coming in from the Clinton administration into the state of Minnesota and the federal officials. And so within just a few years, we became a national organization. And today, um, you know, our mission is to protect patient and doctor freedom. And we are known a lot for what we do on privacy, thus the very big book, because privacy, you know, he who holds the data makes the rules. And that's one of the points that I make in the book. That's why every tyrant does surveillance. As as long as they have their uh, thumb on you, as it were, or their eye on you, they can have their thumb on you. And so that's, you know, that's why we do a lot with privacy. Um, But we, of course, uh, as we're talking today, I know we're going to talk about the wedge, but we also did, you know, a ton on COVID because, you know, the mission of our organization is to protect patients and doctor freedom. And we don't have freedom today when it comes to COVID unless, you know, we've got the freedom doctors and we've got the patients who are going to them. And there's a lot of people who don't even know they exist, who are just taking the advice of the doctors who are following the protocols, the dangerous advice of the doctors following the protocols in the hospitals and they're going home. You know, there's not a lot of COVID today, but there still is COVID there's still people dying from COVID and COVID is still a dangerous disease for those who are going to you know, enter the cytokine storm, which I talk about in the report, uh, or for those who are going to start with the micro clotting, which is very, very dangerous. And so to understand that, uh, y- you would know that as soon as you got the first symptom of COVID, nobody should tell you to go home and wait un- until you start having difficulty breathing because by then you've entered the cytokine storm and your lungs are starting to fill up with cytokines. And then that's when the clotting starts. So you really have, as I say in the report, you really have only about five to seven days to start The antiviral medications and the steroids that are going to make sure that you never get into the cytokine storm and the clotting that happened at the end of it. So you know we've done we've done a lot because you know I'm I'm a nurse so I'm also a patient advocate. This whole organization has a very patient centered perspective. It's privacy focused because again he who holds the data makes the rules. And then you know one of the other things that we like to point out, which I think a lot of patients are feeling today. Uh, is that the mission of medicine has been taken over by the business of health care. So there's a lot of patients today that don't feel much like patients. They don't feel much like they're being cared for. They feel like they have to do all the work of follow-ups and figuring out how, you know, the dots connect. Um, they're having to do all of that because they don't have much time at all with a physician. Some of them aren't even allowed to see a physician. They're, they can only have a non-physician who doesn't have even a third of the training of a physician. Um, they're given only five minutes. Uh, there's long waits for getting in, they're told that they can't have this, that, and the other thing because of the protocols. So the doctors are just following the protocols rather than following their, or using their critical thinking and fighting for the patient. And really the doctor shouldn't have to fight for the patient. And that's, that I think is one of the other ways that the uh, patients know today that they're really more of a cog in the system rather than a valued patient. They're looked at as more of a liability. Um, rather than um, a profit center because of the way healthcare works today. Every patient is considered a liability because they're taking money out of the system rather than putting money into the system. And I guess, you know, one of the things that I could say to your listeners kind of in this vein, because I'll bet they don't understand, is that we um, the health plan uh, is the term of today, but the term of yesterday or several years ago was the HMO. And um, Ted Kennedy in uh, 1993 with the HMO Act of 19, uh, sorry, 1973, the HMO Act of 1973 sought to meld the delivery and financing of healthcare together into one entity, which of course puts it at a conflict of interest with the patient. Those who hold the money, you send the money to the HMO, which is really prepaid healthcare, not really insurance or you send it to the health plan, which is the new term for the HMO. And then they hold all the money and they decide whether or not you can have it and whether or not they're going to pay your doctors. And, you know, it's it's you're, you're begging for permission all the time because you, the patient, don't actually hold the money like you used to. And so now you're a liability because you're going to take the money out of the system. But when Ted created the HMO uh, with the approval of President Nixon at the time, he um, His idea, I believe, was to create this system where everybody paid their money and then they would get used to the HMO telling them no Uh, because they were never told no in traditional medical indemnity insurance. Most of those insurance companies simply paid you a check and then you decided which doctor, which hospital to go to, how to spend the money. You might even have some money left at the end. Um, But today you pay these health plans either through your Uh, employer who takes part of your compensation and sends it off to a health plan who can say no to you. Um, Or you pay it um, personally to the health plan. Or you pay it to the government, which is using health plans to say no. And so what we really have today is the corporate version of socialized medicine. Because socialized medicine is the merger of the delivery and financing of care. And then the government tells you no. When they decide something doesn't work, they think it doesn't doesn't work, won't work. They set the protocols. You're only treated according to the protocols and you pay all the taxes and you hope that you'll get the care that you need in the end. Or like Canadians, they'll just simply come down to America. They'll go to Belgium or wherever they can go to get the care that Canada doesn't allow them to have. So that's what the health plan that everybody has today, the one that the Affordable Care Act says we all must have. the law says a qualified health plan. everybody must have a qualified health plan unless they're in health sharing or they're uninsured because they it, it doesn't work for their uh, the income part. <laughs>
0: Wow. That was a lot there, Twila. Thank you for that. And um, I think you should have wrote my book because it sums up a lot of stuff in my book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what i like to say about that health insurance thing um, is that because of the regulations and Obamacare, especially the Affordable Care Act in 2010, um, there's no such thing as private health insurance anymore. It's really government mandated. It's all government controlled. So if you have traditional health insurance outside of, you know, a health sharing ministry is totally different. You talked about that. We talk about all the time. I love them. I recommend them all the time. If you have a traditional health insurance plan, it is government insurance period. The government tells what can be covered at what price. And um, so that's really what it is. So when people say they have private insurance, In a traditional system that doesn't exist anymore.
1: The only thing I guess I would uh, just differ with you a little bit on there is the interesting thing about the Affordable Care Act, the very interesting thing that people don't realize is there's absolutely no control on what the health plans can charge. And so uh, the health plans just put out what they uh, plan to charge. It is the state who could tell them that they can't, but it is not under federal control. And so you see that the prices, like in Washington state now, the prices are going to go up next year. They're proposing it to be uh, anywhere from, I think, 7% to 16%. And they're just telling the the state government that this is what they want and the state government can shut them down. But the interesting thing now is that the government has got themselves into such a position where the tail is wagging the dog. Right. So if the government says no to the health plans, the health plans can simply back out of the government programs, which is what they did with the first HMO uh, for Medicare. It was called HMO I'm uh, sorry. It was called Medicare Part C. And when the health plan said, you know, you, the government, are not giving us enough money, and the, and the government said, well, we're not going to give you anything more, they started dropping Medicare patients. 200000 here, 100000 there. And then uh, Congress came back and said, oh, okay, <laughs> okay, we will do this for you. And actually, at one point, they were giving the health plans 18% more uh, than in traditional original Medicare. So wow. I don't know that it's that much higher today, but there's nearly 30% of the Medicare population in the HMO, which always looks good at the very beginning, all sorts of bennies when you're healthy, right? But then they can easily say no to you when you're really sick, you're, you're vulnerable, you can't fight on your own. They're saying, well, then you're going to have to appeal it, get a lawyer, right? They have the power to do that. And traditional medical indemnity insurance did not. They simply paid you a check, and then you decided where to go. There was no interference in the middle. There weren't all the third-party costs in the middle. There wasn't all the required reporting to the health plan, reporting to the government, none of that, which is why we. one of the reasons that we started the wedge is to get back to the way healthcare was when it was affordable, confidential, uh, personal, uh, wonderful patient-doctor relationship. All of that needs to come back.
0: Absolutely. I agree 100%. So speaking of the wedge, tell us about the wedge.
1: Yes. So the Wedge of Health Freedom, um, the website is jointhewedge.com. And you'll see on there when you get there that there's a part for patients and a part for doctors. So we're inviting doctors who are cash paying doctors, whether they are fee for service doctors, which means that there'll be a list of services and it says exactly what you have to pay for each service. So a fee for a service, right? Uh, that kind of a doctor or a, a DPC, direct primary care doctor, where you pay a fee per month and then you get access to all of the services that they list on their website, including often, you know, email access, texting access, 24-7 access, that kind of thing. So we want all of the cash-based practices that we can find around the country on the wedge so that people can find them. So the, what you're looking at here is the patient uh, page within this free trade zone for healthcare, and and patients can read this now. If you go to the facts page, the FAQ page, if you can, if you can go to that page, I can uh, show just a few things to your uh, viewers. So now click on the quick wedge overview, and then um, and then I'm going to show diagrams and pictures. So um, this is a one-pager, two-sided one-pager, essentially, for people that can print it out and take a look at it. Uh, if you scroll up just a little or down, I guess down, um, you'll see the wedge principles, which shows you what our doctors, the doctors in the wedge. So the doctors in the wedge don't have to pay anything. And you as a patient don't have to pay anything. This is part of our nonprofit purpose. It's part of why we raise money from donors is so that we can do this, make this available, because this is where we think healthcare needs to go. So you'll see eight principles, transparent, affordable pricing, freedom to choose, true patient privacy, no government reporting, no outside interference, cash-based pricing, um, uh, uh a protected patient doctor relationship and all patients are welcome, which means you can be Medicare, Medicaid, anything that you want to be, but you can come into the wedge, find a doctor and pay cash and get a real relationship. A lot of time spent with the doctor. These doctors spend time with you. They're like the old fashioned doctors, right? So now if we go um, down just a little bit further here, because some people ask us, well, why did you call it the wedge? And it actually comes from the fact that I told a group of doctors, so um, make sure you can see the the three circles there. Um, um, I told a group of doctors when I was giving a speech once that at the end of the day, we need a wedge in uh, the healthcare system where all doctors and patients can escape when the government and the health plan say no. And so um, that's, that's really how the wedge began. And then this picture shows that today uh, doctors in the wedge are often not known, they don't, a lot of patients don't know that they exist. So it's really kind of invisible. So that's the today. Tomorrow we wanna make it visible and we want to grow that slice of the healthcare pie. And then in the future, we believe this is the way all of healthcare should run. We should not have health plans. We should not have HMOs. We should not have managed care. Those are the three terms for the very same thing. Uh, And prepaid healthcare is the other term for it. We should have real insurance with doctors and patients working together unencumbered and the pa- and the patients holding the dollars in their hands. So if you look at the second diagram there, it shows you what patients understand as well as anybody, and doctors do too, is that in that triangle, the payer is at the top and the payer knows exactly what's gonna happen. They have the dollar the, and the data and they make the decisions. And the patient and the doctor are at the bottom Wondering and waiting to see what the payer is going to cover, how long it's going to take for the payer to, co- to peer, the payer to cover what, what certain things are they going to say is experimental or we don't believe it's necessary, you know all of that sort of thing. They have all this power, so we want to disassemble that triangle. And you may or may not be able to see this very well, but on the right bar. It says, so patient is on the top of each of those three bars, but at the right one, it has insurer at the bottom. So the insurer pays the patient, and then the patient pays the doctor and the hospital. And this is exactly what it was before. And what this will do is not only bring the prices down because there won't be all these third parties demanding a piece of the dollar, every premium dollar and every healthcare dollar that you spend in reporting and monitoring and analysis and research and everything else that they are going to do with your data to say whether or not you can have care. Um, so there won't be all this interference. Uh, there will be price transparency because you'll hold the dollars in your hand and you'll say, what's that cost? And the doctor will have to tell you, and then you can negotiate a price. And then, um, and then it'll be a, a patient, a real patient doctor relationship. It won't have outsiders coming in to control the doctor and it will be confidential. So there won't be all this sharing of information. And I, I, I know for almost certain that most of your listeners think of HIPAA as a privacy rule. But HIPAA is a permissive data sharing rule. That is how it's known officially officially in the industry and by the government. All of this sharing can happen with what the government uh, listed one says, 2.2 million entities. Um, 702,000 of people that you think should have your data, like the labs, the clinics, the hospitals, um, you know, all of those sorts of folks, right? And then there's 1.5 million business associates. So we've got an entire page called the patient toolbox to help you in the exam room to protect your privacy from all these outsiders, as well as to protect your um, rights under coercion. So patienttoolbox.org, patienttoolbox.org is the place that you can go and you can click on the boxes or the drawers in the patient toolbox. And we've got one on COVID, but we've got one in the hospital, one in the clinic and one on when you're having a baby because the hospitals are taking the blood out of the heel and sending it to the state. And a lot of states are keeping the DNA of the child without ever telling the the parents. So, uh, So we have these tools and the wedge is the place where you can go to find one of these doctors. And if you know a doctor that is doing cash today, just cash. We don't allow them to do government or insurance. It's got to be cash, check, or charge. If you know one of those doctors and they're not on the wedge, invite them to the wedge. Tell us and we will invite them ourselves because we we want this resource for Patients, and we want them to not only uh, survive, but we want them to thrive because this is where we want the whole thing to go. We're building a brand new framework for health freedom in America, which includes the wedge as the place where you will find all of these entities. And we envision and are planning for, in our framework, cash based hospitals, cash based surgery centers. This is where it's got to go. We know doctors who already want to go there, and we're working at the legislative level and other levels to um, make sure there are no prohibitions on moving our framework forward.
0: Well, wow. Um, That was a lot, Twyla. And now I know why we connected on social media, because we think a lot alike. And in my book, Sickened, How the Government Ruined Healthcare and How to Fix It, there's a six-step solution in chapter 6 and the first step solution is that patients need to take charge of their own health um and and with that that means financially too their, their dollars they need to vote with their dollars somebody else does not should not be deciding where a patient's dollars go right. the patient needs to be in charge like any other industry the consumer needs to be paying the bill and that will drive service price and quality. When a third party pays the bill, it doesn't work. You have escalating costs and you have poor service and poor quality. And one of the steps too, just like you mentioned, doctors need to get out of the rat race. They need to get out of insurance. They need to be cash based. They need to be paid directly by the patient. It makes it much simpler. It makes it much easier, much um, faster much less expensive. Um, And, you know, you mentioned cash-based surgery centers. We know that that's not the future. That is here and now they're popping up all over the place. Surgery Center of Oklahoma has been around for over 20 years and there's one coming in in Moscow, Idaho next year. There's one in that I know of in um, Wellbridge Surgical in um, uh, Indiana. So that's not, that's not pie in the sky stuff. It's happening. And, um, you know, I want to make sure that patients are educated, and empowered to know about that so they can get the best service, the best care.
1: Yes. So the only reason the Surgery Center of Oklahoma is not on the wedge is because they still use uh, Medicare doctors and Medicare. People will be surprised by this. But if you take care of one Medicare patient, Medicare claims a right to go into all of your patients medical charts. And have access to look to judge your quality as a doctor and so we drew a really bright line to try to keep the government out of what we're doing Absolutely. So
0: yeah thank you for that so um as we wind this podcast up i got a question for you twyla what do you have a passion for i think it's pretty obvious but tell us what your passion is <sighs>
1: Well, my passion really is freedom and making sure that this country stays free for you know generations into the future, and so I've got a piece here that has to do with healthcare and has to do with patients because my other passion is patients being treated the way patients need to be treated. So that I think that might cover it there.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, what's the best way if people have questions or they want to join? Um, what's the best way to get a hold of you?
1: They can go to cchfreedom.org, which is at the bottom of every, um, every wedge page. So um, you can find it at the, uh, at the bottom there. They can go, they can find me on Twitter at my name, Twyla Brays, and they can call at 651-646-8935 or info, I-N-F-O, at cchfreedom.org
0: that's awesome well thank you for that twyla and you definitely have realized our goal of this podcast which is to educate and empower consumers to take charge of their own health um so thank you so much for being on i really appreciate it i appreciate it too thanks all right Listeners and viewers, thank you for tuning in. Um, Tune in Monday to our regularly scheduled podcast, three to 1.30 Pacific Standard Time. Um, As always, you can catch us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. Um, Right now, we are centered on Facebook, so we can't stream live, but I am sharing the YouTube on our Facebook page. So follow me on uh, YouTube, Moses Lake Professional Pharmacy YouTube site, so you don't miss any episodes. Thank you for listening and tuning in, and we will see you Monday.